This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Legend of the Bones. Following in the footsteps of giants, Legend of the Bones is a chimera. A mix of old-school tabletop RPG and dark fantasy storytelling. As its name might suggest, in Legend of the Bones the dice rule. There'll be no re-rolls, no fudging the dice, no metacurrency. The roll of the bones will determine the character's destiny and no one will be spared their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. Last time on Legend of the Bones, the party entered the tower belonging to Valen's master through the basement laboratory which they found to have been thoroughly ransacked. Valen searched among the strewn books and was fortunate to find his spellbook under an overturned workbench. Lena recovered a map and Valen explained that they were on a peninsula which formed the realm of Pau and Moor, when Kier hushed the companions to silence, having heard voices in the floor above. Before the party could decide what to do, there was an explosion above them which blew open the laboratory door. Beric led the charge up, where they found two dead and four injured members of the Brethren, who had seemingly triggered a fireball trap. A vicious fight ensued, and all four of the companions were badly injured before ultimately they were triumphant. The gravity of their wounds would cause the party to rest for five days, but fortunately the tower was well supplied with food and water. Balan vowed to avenge his master's death and recover his master's spellbook and amulet which had been taken by the Brethren. Having taken arms from the dead and supplies from the tower, the companions set off for the town of Halstone over the bleak Tainmoor. Chapter 3, Part 1, Day 6, Morning, Party Status, Beric, 9 out of 9 hit points, Lena, 6 out of 6 hit points, Kier, 4 out of 4 hit points, Valen, 4 out of 4 hit points. Spells available, Valen has memorised, Push. The overcast sky hung heavily over the Tainmoor as the tower receded into the distance. There was no discernible path and the companions were forced to walk through the coarse scrub consisting of heather, bracken and gorse. It was slow going, and they walked in single file. Valen first, then Beric, followed by Lena with Kier at the rear. The companions spotted no fauna to speak of, save the occasional crow flying overhead though evidence of deer, fox and hare could be seen in the droppings scattered here and there. Balaam paused for a moment and pointed to the highest peak in the far distance. We are making for Bran Tor, there, on the horizon. There are caves there in which we can make camp. All being well, we should make it by nightfall. They continued on, passing a solitary willow protruding from the soft earth. Its bare limbs bore no bud despite it being spring. A large crow sat on one of the branches, its body silhouetted against the ashen sky. It cocked its head as they passed before cawing loudly and flying off. They continued for another two miles before the terrain descended into a shallow valley where the scrub gave way to a wood of stunted oaks, 
The trees were twisted and bent over like old crows. Their bark was covered with a thick moss. The ground was littered with heavy granite boulders that too were covered in a green carpet of moss. They began to pick their way through the boulders, and as they did so, something strange caught Beric's eye. What's this? The others turned to see what Beric was looking at. Nearby, on the ground, a large oval boulder lay. The moss which grew upon it ran in concentric ovals, forming the shape of an unblinking eye. The evil eye! Balin exclaimed. This is a warning. We must be wary. This wood is old, thousands of years old, it is said. It is part of a forest called the Whispen Wood, and not all fey creatures that dwell here are benign. We must be on our guard. Dramatis Personae Valen Valen is a human magic user, level 1. He is 25 years old, with dark, shoulder-length hair and hazel eyes. He stands at 5 foot 11 and weighs 155 pounds. Valen is a man of significant mental agility, but his calm demeanour and clear intelligence belies a man who is ruled by his emotions, and as such, his judgement is sometimes poor. Still waters run deep, or so they say. Valen is from the distant land of Hlanris, an island nation in the Great Western Ocean. Hlanris, meaning rising land, is a realm of bleak mountains, fog-laden valleys and ancient woodlands, a land of spirits and fey creatures. For the people of Hlanris, known as the Whaler, magic or the craft runs through the very fabric of their society, so much so that mages are the custodians of the Whaler's spiritual beliefs. Valen was born into a poor family of subsistence farmers. He was the second child, and his mother died in childbirth. The wise woman who delivered him told Valen's father that the child had come during a poor alignment of the stars, and so his father always blamed him for his mother's death. As a child, Valen knew more of the rod than any child should. Like many mages, Valen's arcane talents manifested with the onset of adolescence. As he began the transition to adulthood, he found that he was able to sense the presence of magic in objects, people and places. As was customary in Wayland culture, having developed the sight, Valen was sent by his father to be apprenticed at the age of 13. His tutor, a man named Murdrum, was a highly respected mage and advisor to the local lord. Valen was taken into the lord's household and set to work. This mostly consisted of scrubbing floors, working in the kitchens and other menial tasks. But when he was done with his chores, he was permitted to watch his master in the laboratory. Slowly, Valen began to learn the identification and preparation of ingredients in potions and rituals, as well as learning how to read and transcribe the arcane runes used in the recording of spellcraft. The years passed, and Murdran proved not to be a kind man. Valen often found himself beaten with a willow rod. At first this would happen when he made errors in the laboratory, or in the transcribing of runes, but later the beatings would come if Valen asked a question, or if Murdran's mood was simply sour enough. Over time, Valen came to hate the man who was in charge with his magical training. He would find reasons to avoid the laboratory, often citing some made-up chore in the stronghold's kitchen, or pretending he had been sent to deliver a message. His master seemed to care little about his absence. Valen took to taking books from his master's library and studying them privately, 
but no matter how hard he tried, he could not unlock the means to invoke even the most simple of cantrips. One evening, Valen was reading a treatise on human emotion and its influence on the ability to invoke the craft. The leather-bound book was old, and the yellowed pages crackled as he turned them. The author, a little-known mage by the name of Amos Ap Howan, theorised that the reason the sight developed during adolescence was because this was a time in human development that emotional turbulence was at its most erratic. He argued that those who developed the sight had some deep emotional attunement to the supernatural, which in turn, through training, enabled them to harness the craft. Valen closed the book. The hour was late, and he would need to return the book before his master noticed it was missing. He slipped out of his room and walked quietly down the corridor towards Murdron's chambers. He took a candle, though the torches were lit. He knew the Lord was holding a banquet that evening and his master would be in attendance. He would be able to slip into the library and return the book without trouble. Murdron's chambers were situated in the North Tower. Valen crossed the courtyard and headed for the heavy door into the tower. One of the guards at the gate was urinating against the wall, whilst his companion made some crude joke to which they both laughed loudly. The sound of their laughter caused one of the hounds to bark in the kennels, which in turn set the whole pack howling. Valen hurried along. Entering the tower, he began to climb the circular stone stairs until he reached the third floor where the library was situated. He opened the heavy door and stepped inside. Approaching the tall bookcases, he began to search for the place from which he had taken the book. He brought the candle nearer so he could see more clearly, and quickly located the space. He slid the book back on the shelf. Thief! Murdrun's voice rang out in the gloom. Valen swung around and saw the older mage standing in the doorway. You miserable little thief! His master repeated the accusation. No, I just bowed. You're a thief! Murdrun interrupted. The mage held the willow rod in his hand, which he now raised and pointed at Valen. I'm going to beat you within an inch of your life, you filthy little rat! Murdrun strode forward, the rod held high. Valen felt fear, then injustice followed swiftly by anger. Then time slowed. Valen felt a calmness flow through his entire body. His mind became clear, as if a fog had been lifted. He could see the arcane words for the first time. They formed in his mouth and were spoken aloud. Valen held out his hand as Murdrun bore down on him. He felt unseen energy build within his chest, then burst invisibly from his outstretched fingers. Murdrun was immediately thrown back, the older mage completely lifted off the ground. A look of shock and realisation was written on his face as he flew back before slamming into the bookcase on the far wall. There was a snapping sound, and Murdrun fell to a crumpled heap and was still. Valen sat motionless for a few minutes, trying to comprehend what had just transpired. He got up and walked over to his master. Murdrun's lifeless eyes stared up at him. His face still wore the same shocked expression. Valen knew that he would hang for killing Murdrun. No one would accept that he had acted in self-defence. Leaving the library, he went to his master's bedchamber, and after a search found a purse with enough coin to buy passage away from Ranris. He thought it would be best if he went to the land of Pau and Mor. He knew the people there were related to the whaler, and that might make his leaving home easier. He returned to his room, and packed a knapsack with a few belongings before making his way to the stables. Picking a piebald that was known to him, he quickly tacked up the horse and led it out into the courtyard. It wasn't unusual for him to be sent on an errand, but it was at night. He hoped the guards would not care. 
he mounted the horse and spurred it to a walk. As he approached the gate, he preempted the guard's question. My master has bid me take an urgent message to the High Council. One of the guards nodded and waved him through the gate. Balin gave the horse a short kick and it went into a canter. Without looking back, he rode into the darkness. The companions are travelling overland towards the town of Halstone, so I need to cover some of the rules for this journey in the wilderness, which is often referred to in tabletop role-playing games as a hex crawl. First, I need to create a map for this part of Erden, which is my name for the fictional world in which Legend of the Bones is set. We've already established that the party is at the tip of a peninsula called Pow and Moor, and the topographical feature they are travelling over is called the Tain Moor. This initial map therefore will cover the area between the tower and Halstone, a distance of around 80 miles. You can find the map at legendofthebones.blogspot.com. I'm going to rule that Valen only has first-hand familiarity with the terrain encountered in the first day of travel, an area which he may have realistically foraged in the past. His knowledge beyond that is based on maps that he has studied. The basic expert rules state that a character can travel up to 24 miles per day if unimpeded, but that travel will be 33% slower if the terrain is forests and hills. Therefore, the party can travel 15 miles a day if they're not further hindered, so the journey will at best take 5 days. Next, for each 24-hour period in the wild, I'm going to make 4 dice rolls. These rolls will randomly generate events which may in turn add details to the map. The first will be a weather roll. I have created a random table for weather conditions specific to the season, but broadly speaking, the higher the roll, the warmer and drier the weather. You can find this and all the tables used in this episode at legendofthebones.blogspot.com. It is springtime in the northern hemisphere of Erden, so here is the roll for day 6 on a d20. A 12. There is a thick blanket of white clouds, though the temperature is mild. The second roll to be determined is whether the party loses direction. Here the basic expert rules state that there is a 2 in 6 chance of getting lost in forests and hills, but given that Valen knows the landscape on the first day, I'm only going to roll this from the second day onwards. Next is something I've unashamedly stolen from the excellent Tale of the Manticore podcast. This will be a chance of stumbling upon something exceptional. Simply put, I'll roll a d20. If I roll a 20, then the party will come across something special. This could be a creature, object or place. Conversely, if I roll a 1, then they will encounter something very bad. Here is the roll for day 6. A 15. No stumble upon is indicated. The final roll is a check for a wandering encounter. Here the basic expert will state that there is a 2 in 6 chance of encountering a wandering monster in this type of terrain. If the roll indicates there is an encounter, I'll make a simple high-low roll on a d20 to see whether the encounter happens during the day or at night. I'll then make a further roll on a custom encounter table that I have created. This table has a few non-monster encounters sprinkled in for good measure. Again, you can find this table at legendofthebones.blogspot.com. Here is the roll on a d6. A 4. No wandering encounter. The party reached Brantor by nightfall without incident, making camp in some shallow caves that form part of the rocky outcrop. Day 7. Rolling for weather. A 5. The clouds have moved on leaving a bright and clear day, but an easterly wind brings with it a chill. Losing direction. 
A six. The party remains on a northeast direction. Stumble upon. A three. Nothing there. Wandering encounter. A one. An encounter is indicated. Let's see if the encounter happens during the day or the night. A low roll on a d20 indicates the day. An eight. The encounter happens during daylight hours. I will now make a roll on the wandering encounter table using a d20. A seven. Hmm, this is interesting. The result indicates thick fog. This tells me the party will wander in a random direction, meaning their journey will take an additional half a day and I'll need to roll again on the random encounter table. This does feel a little at odds with the other rolls for this day, but the dice rule, so I have to go with it. I think the logical explanation is that the party descends into a valley in the early morning and encounters a rising ground fog. So let's roll for random direction on a d8. A 1. That indicates north, so luckily not too far off course. Now for the additional wandering encounter roll. Another 7. What are the chances of that? The weather is just not warm enough to burn off the ground fog, and the party is now completely lost. Here is another random direction roll on a d8. A five. <laughs> oh my, that indicates south. Plus the journey will take another half a day longer. The party has lost a whole day with nothing to show for it, and the companions end up where they started. Also, I must roll yet again on the wandering encounter table. Here it is. A four. Let's see. Hmm. This indicates one d4 deer. One more roll then. Okay, let's see how this plays out. Chapter 3 Part 2 Day 7 Dawn Party status Beric 9 out of 9 hit points Lena 6 out of 6 hit points Kier 4 out of 4 hit points Valen 4 out of 4 hit points Spells available Valen has memorized Push The party woke at dawn the clouds had drifted away overnight, leaving a bright, clear sky. The temperature had dropped sufficiently for the ground to be covered in a blanket of silvery frost, which sparkled as the first rays of the sun peeped over the hills on the distant horizon. From their elevation, the party could see a river snaking its way from the southeast to the northwest. Their journey would take them across the river, so they would at least be able to replenish their water skins, though they only had enough food for two more days. Lena knelt facing the sunrise for morning prayers, her hands clasped around her holy symbol, a pendant fashioned as a wheel with eight flame-like spokes. The novitiate's head was bowed as she gave thanks to the nine. Meanwhile, Valen sat atop a large boulder studying his spellbook, whilst Beric and Kier prepared a small fire. After they had broken their fast, the companions set off northeast down the slope of Bran Tor. A ground mist could be seen in the valley floor and as they got nearer, it became apparent that the fog was denser than they had realised, and soon, visibility was reduced to 30 yards. The cold day was made colder still for the lack of sunlight, and the companions were glad of the woollen travelling cloaks that Valen had supplied. The party tried to maintain a northeast bearing, but when they failed to reach the river as expected, and instead entered a wooded area, it was clear that they had deviated from their course. Finally, Beric gave voice to what they were all thinking. I fear we have lost our way. 
Whilst we will lose time, I think it would be safer if we retraced our steps back to Brantor. Reluctantly, the others nodded in agreement. The companions turned around, and ahead of them, at the very limit of visibility, stood a white stag. The beast held its magnificent antlered head high as it gazed directly at them. What sunlight that penetrated the fog diffused in the haze and seemed to halo the animal's head. The White Heart, Raylan said. There was awe in his voice. This is a good omen. If the beast will allow it, we should follow. Almost as if in response to Valen's words, the stag bowed its head before turning and walking slowly away. The party hurried to keep pace with the stag, careful not to get too close, though it continued to show no fear. Occasionally, they failed to keep up, and the beast disappeared from view, but a few minutes later, it reappeared as if waiting for them. Several hours passed in this manner, until eventually, the stag led them out of the fog to the base of Brantor. We thank you, friend, Valen called after the stag, but if the animal heard, it did not show comprehension, and it bounded away. With twilight only an hour or so away, the party decided it was too late to continue, and risk not finding a safe place to make camp, and so with frustration, they climbed Brantor once more to take refuge in the caves. Okay, so having got back on track, let's see what the coming days have in store for the party. Day 8. Weather. A 7. Clouds gather overnight bringing milder temperatures, but by morning a light rain begins to fall, losing direction. 6. The party manages to maintain a northeast direction. Stumble upon. 10. Nothing. Wandering encounters. 6. Nothing indicated. I'm also going to make a foraging roll. In normal circumstances in this terrain, I would give a 1 in 6 chance of finding sufficient food for one day. However, day 7 sees the party cross a river, which provides the opportunity to fill their water skins and increase the chance of successful foraging to 3 in 6. Here's the roll. A 3. The party manages to catch a large brown trout using a makeshift fishing rod and a little smoked herring from their rations as bait. Day 9. Weather. A 9. The mild but wet weather continues. Losing direction? 3. The party does not lose direction. Stumble upon. 9. Nothing. Wandering encounters? 4. Nothing there. From day 9, the party enters a woodland and follows the course of a river, so I'm going to rule the chance of successful foraging as 3 and 6. Here's the roll. A 6. Nothing. That is bad luck. Day 10. Weather. An 18. A southerly wind brings warm air and it turns into a glorious spring day. The party gives thanks for small mercies. Now the party is following the river, I'm not going to make a roll for losing direction. Stumble upon. A 7. Nothing. Wandering encounters. A 3. No encounters. Foraging. Water is not a problem given the party is following the river, but let's see whether they find any food. A one. This is a stroke of luck. The party finds the carcass of a recently deceased deer. The animal has been partially eaten by a predator, but there is just enough meat remaining for the companions to stave off hunger. They cook the meat over a small fire. The venison is the best meal they've had in days. Day 11. Weather. 18. 
The fine spring weather continues. The woodland is alive with the sound of birds and insects. As with day 10, the party are following the river, so I will not roll for losing direction. Stumble upon. Three. Nothing. Wandering encounters. A two. An encounter is indicated. First to see whether the encounter happens during the day or at night. Roll on a d20. A 12. That indicates the encounter happens at night. Okay, now to roll on my wandering encounter table. A 15. Okay, I will need to think about how this will play out. Finally, a foraging roll. A 5. The party finds nothing edible. Tomorrow they will suffer a minus 1 to all attack and damage rolls. Chapter 3 Part 3 Day 11 Afternoon Party status Beric 9 out of 9 hit points Lena 6 out of 6 hit points Kier 4 out of 4 hit points Valen 4 out of 4 hit points Spells available Valen has memorized Push Bright sunlight dappled through the tree canopy as the companions walked. The woodland was alive with insects and the song of blackbird, robin and nightingale. The contrast with their trek across the open moorland was stark, and despite their weariness, their spirits could not help but be lifted. There was no discernible path to speak of, but fortunately the ground brush was sparse, instead giving way to a sea of bluebells which seemed to spring from every available inch of earth. Despite the abundance of flora and fauna, the companions found nothing which they could be confident to eat, and as the afternoon wore on, their stomachs complained loudly at the lack of sustenance. The woodland was nestled in a river valley, and Valen was confident that the river would eventually lead them to Halstone, though he could not be sure how many more days the journey might take. As dusk descended, the party began to search for a suitable place to make camp, which would leave them less exposed. Venturing towards the valley side, the companions sure enough found rock formations which might provide suitable shelter. Keir went in search of firewood whilst the others tried again in vain to forage. When Keir returned, he reported a cave a hundred yards further along as the valley turned northwards. It was dark by the time the rogue led them to the cave, though the full moon made it possible to see that it had seemed some use. A trampled path had been cut from the cave entrance through the carpet of bluebells and led north following the river. Valen retrieved his tinderbox from his knapsack and lit Kier's torch. I'll go first, Beric said, drawing his sword. Kier, you follow behind me and keep your ears open. The party tentatively entered the endless blackness of the cave. The sound of the nearby river reverberated around the granite walls and rushed in their ears. The tunnel was narrow, only six or seven feet across, and the companions were forced to walk in single file. They moved slowly and in silence partly in fear of what might be ahead, and partly to give Keir the best chance of hearing danger. I'm going to make a hear noise check for Keir to see whether he can hear anything from up ahead. As a first level rogue, Keir has a 2 in 6 chance, but given the noise of the river, I'm going to apply a minus 1 penalty to the roll. Here it is. A 5. The noise from the river is just too loud for Keir to hear anything. But at the same time, I'm going to rule that the river noise will also disguise the party's movements.
The tunnel twisted and turned for 20 yards before opening into a cavern some 40 feet across. Even before the torchlight had illuminated half the space, Burke could see that the floor was covered in all manner of foul detritus, rags, excrement and the decomposing carcasses of a variety of creatures. Beric covered his nose and mouth as a fetid stench filled his nostrils and made his stomach turn. His companions reacted similarly as they entered the cavern. Suddenly, across the far wall, three pairs of eyes reflected like those of a cat in the torchlight. There was a hissing sound, followed by cackling, as three grotesque and gangly figures emerged into the light. Thank you for listening to Legend of the Bones. If you like what you've heard, then please consider giving it a 5-star review in your podcatcher of choice. Every review helps the show reach new listeners. You can also help by liking or retweeting new episode announcements. You can contact me on Twitter at LegendBones, email at legendofthebones at gmail.com, or go to legendofthebones.blogspot.com for show notes, character profiles, maps, and more. Join me next time to find out what awaits our adventurers as the Bones decide their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone.